Hello guys and welcome to the Big Screen Podcast. I'm Will as ever. Is that already a surprise? No, it shouldn't be. And today I am not joined by my regular Theo Stokes. Uh, why? Well, that's going to be a long section in about five minutes time. But to join me in his replacement, kind of, is Michael Wilson, a recurring voice of this channel, and his Hello. new co-host DK on the Silver Screen Podcast. Hello Michael Hello. DK. Hello. Just, uh, just Hello wanted to let you, just wanted to let you know that I actually finished second. Just trying to manage expectations. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. These join me from the Silver Screen Podcast today. Um, I have been on your podcast several times, so I just thought it's about time that you've returned the favor. I suppose. Well, I, I was on, I was on this podcast for a good what, like multiple episodes, <laughs> and they're, st- they're still there. So. I feel like thirteen, like, fourteen. Well, only on Spotify. Well, a few of them are still on the YouTube, but yeah, um, well, yeah. yeah. So I'm. I was a pretty regular voice here, hosting and co-hosting for a while. People can still check those out. Yeah. So if you don't know who Michael is, what the hell are you doing on this channel? Go watch the old ones, (laughs) you fake fan. Uh, DK, people will know a bit about Michael. So uh, introduce yourself. Who are you? What are you doing here? I'm DK. I started hosting, co-hosting Mike's podcast with him a bit ago. Uh, He's still tolerating me for some (laughs) reason. I'm not sure why. Uh, I'm a freelance writer and currently uh, writing for Culture Slate and Warp Factor Trek. Oh, okay. So you both are kind of bloggers, I suppose. Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, I haven't written on my horror blog for about a year, but you could say that. <laughs> uh, but today we are reviewing Top Gun Maverick. But I'm going to take a leaf out of your podcast book today by introducing this film with some trivia. And by that, I just mean going onto the IMDP trivia page for this film. (laughs) I sent you a link. We can talk about the box office. I sent you a link to the video. It's technically somebody else's work, but they don't need to know that. (laughs) We can, of course, talk about the box office. Uh, Michael, you've watched that video. I didn't have time to. So if you want to introduce that video in a second, we can absolutely talk about it. But the trivia for this film, I'll just go through some that I find quite interesting. And then you guys can just say if you knew or not. And if you have something to add, absolutely. Absolutely, go for it. Uh, so first of all, the World War II P-51 Mustang scene in this movie is actually Tom Cruise's own aeroplane. He is an accomplished pilot in real life. Do you guys know that? I knew that because uh, I thought... Sorry. <laughs> what the <laughs> hell was that? That was my phone playing up. Sorry about that. Carry on. And then Dolph Vader joined us. Uh-oh. It's the buff. Back to Normandy again. Are you just playing Call of Duty in the background, man? <laughs> no, that's, I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> He's just looking around this room. Where is this noise? I just, you know, three weeks from now, I'll suddenly disappear and you'll find out, oh, he committed suicide and there was, you know, this talk oh, of Christ. supernatural spirits. <laughs> that noise spirit of some kind of soldier with a machine gun, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's some kind of Civil War veteran from Spain. <laughs> Oh dear, well, the next bit of trivia is, according to Miles Teller, the cast got to choose their own call signs. He chose Rooster because it was in the same family as Goose, which I thought was pretty um, intentional, so I'm not so surprised by that, to be fair. Wait, does that mean that the guy chose Bob? Because surely that was part of the plot of the movie. There's no way he opted for that, surely. I, I actually know a bit of trivia about that. Go on. In the last few films uh, that Tom Cruise does, he always has a character in it called Bob. Yes, because that was one of the other trivia pieces on this film. And it says, like, the last 20 years, in almost every single movie, some the Bob is referenced. The Bob is referenced in every single Tom Cruise movie. And it's, like, it's ridiculous. So that kind of explains it. It's just, like, an in-joke for Tom Cruise, I suppose. I see. 
Um, at the insistence of Tom Cruise, there were minimal green screen and CGI aerial shots in the film, and even the close-up cockpit shots are taken during real in-flight sequences. This uh, meant that cockpit. much of the cast had to undergo extensive G-force training sessions to withstand the physical demands of the G-force pressures during flights. This is an interesting one that I found out a few weeks ago. The actors playing pilots not only had to film themselves turning the camera on and off, they also had to touch up their own makeup. That sentence could have mm. went south. Adjust their lighting and handle their own sound. The director had to wait on the ground for hours sometimes for the actors to come back with the footage. Adjustments would be made after viewing the footage and the actors would have to go back up for another take. I did read that to my... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the actors had to go through a whole several month course or whatever to actually understand the art of editing, lighting, directing, just so they like really knew what they were looking for them because they, again they had to turn on the camera on and off and whatever and they had to direct themselves i suppose so that is like a necessity in terms of like understanding you have to understand editing and lighting and whatever to actually be able to act in that situation so i respect the hell out of that and um, also while, they're, while they're actually flying that's Mm. really respect for that yeah. at, at the end I said it to my um, nan and my nan was like no they didn't do that and I was like nan they literally did <laughs> I don't know funny. if this is true by the way or not but I remember reading when I was looking up the movie that one of them I think it might have been Miles Teller had like not took the lens cap off the camera or something mm. so like went through a ton of footage got back to examine it and was like oh crap <laughs> um, the shirtless beach football montage had to be shot twice because Tom Cruise did not find the first version good enough uh, and then there was this whole debacle because they had to get in shape again for the for the reshoot because after the first day they had a full on you know booze up and whatever because that was the one scene <laughs> where they had their shirts off so they had to get really chiseled for it and then Tom Cruise was like no I want to reshoot I bet I bet the first take wasn't even that bad but he just wanted to terrorize his bloody actors again yeah. <laughs> He's a very demanding guy, to be fair, so it wouldn't surprise me. And the final one for now is uh, Miles Teller was cast in the role of Goose's son, beating out the likes of Nicholas Holt and Glenn Powell. All three were flown to the house of Tom Cruise, the star of this movie, for chemistry tests. Powell was later cast in the movie in a role beefed up for him, having impressed Cruise, producer Jerry Bruckheimer, and executives at Paramount Pictures and Skydance with his auditions. Yes, and that wraps up the trivia, which is DK's kind of realm in the Silver Screen podcast. So thank you, DK, for the inspiration there. It's actually a very interesting thing because I do like incorporating fun facts. So yes, where do we want to start with this? Um, well, I do have more yeah. trivia if you want, because I did tell you I was going to do a box office deep dive, and I did. Michael, so. <laughs> take it away. Um, well, the weird thing is this this movie, we all know it's kind of been critically pretty dang well received. I think it's currently at 97% on Rotten Tomatoes if you put any stock into that. Um, but financially speaking, in the US, it is also the best hold of a movie going into its second weekend ever in mm. history. For a blockbuster like this that opens to like over 100 uh, million or so, you would expect the drop off to be around 40%. That would be considered excellent. Um, 50 to 60% would be considered about what you would expect for a drop off for that. Uh, Top Gun Maverick's drop off was 29% in weekend number wow. two. Uh, which does make it the absolute greatest in history. Um, if anybody's curious, the rest of the top five are Shrek 2, which had a 33.2% drop-off, Frozen 2, which had a 34% drop-off, the first Spider-Man, uh, the Sam Raimi one, which had a 37.8% drop-off, and Star Wars The Force Awakens, which had a 39.8% drop-off. 
uh, and these numbers are all obviously in America uh, because I shamelessly stole this information from Dan Morrow so shout out to him <laughs> to kind of it where it's due <laughs> yeah it's coming like that I'm looking at it now it's like the fourth highest grossing film of 2022 it's 100% going to get already, to number yeah, one yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to oh, surpass yeah. Doctor Strange 100% it did way better than people were expecting. It's also the highest grossing Tom Cruise film uh, in the US domestically already. Oh, wow. Um, 295.6 million it's currently made so far. Uh, the rest of that top five, without giving you the specifics, are at number two, War of the Worlds. At number three, Mission Impossible Fallout. At number four, Mission Impossible 2. And at number five, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Mm. So one of only uh, two non-Mission Impossible movies to make that. But um, if anybody is curious, because we why not put things into perspective, uh, you can adjust for inflation to get the highest grossing Tom Cruise films. And then in, if you do that, Top Gun Maverick isn't in there yet, which kind of makes sense. It's only in weekend number two. But if anybody was curious, the highest grossing Tom Cruise films adjusted for inflation are Top Gun, then Rain Man, then the first Mission Impossible, then Mission Impossible 2, then The Firm. I tried watching no, Mission Impossible one the other day, the other week actually. I just thought uh, and switched off. <laughs> that was a great review. Just blah. <laughs> no, but I did hear that it gets better as they go along, and the first one's not so good. Yeah, the second never... one's not that brilliant either. I like oh. the second one, but I know it's the worst oh, one that everybody says. <laughs> oh, the soundtrack's amazing, but the the movie itself's a bit. Mm. Yeah, uh, part of this podcast that we do like to do, of course, is the cinema experience. But DK, you were ripped into this quite late, and I don't believe you went to the cinema, right? What? How did you watch this in the end? Shh. <laughs> Definitely I, legal services. It was all Mike's fault. And me. He's a pusher. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really difficult here to go to the cinema. Mm pre-pandemic it was they would show one film per week in english in the original version mm. and if you wanted to see that film you're fine if it's a film that you wanted to see that wasn't in english you're up shit creek yeah. Pre- nice. uh, post-pandemic as it were there's pretty much nothing because the cinema was located in the middle of a shopping mall and they're still <laughs> taking precautions over here so mm. so weird that barnsley is so different for cinemas man Clarification that DK is in Spain right now. Oh, you ruined the joke. He's not from like Norwich or something. <laughs> to be fair, if anyone's if anyone listening has actually been to Barnsley, they'll think, "Wow, Barnsley's that advanced." <laughs> Barnsley's currently getting the first Top Gun for the first time. <laughs> yes. But yeah, how about you, Michael? Because you went on a trek, well, didn't you? Yeah. Well, first of all, I will say I, do, I can't speak for how like well the film's received in terms of like um, people that are actually seeing it. But financially speaking, uh, I literally just received a headline that as of time of recording today, uh, the movie has passed six hundred million dollars at the global box office, mm. uh, and it looks very likely to make a billion. So make of that what you will. <laughs> it's it's still financially popular, even if it's not necessarily getting. Although I do think it is getting great reviews. Um, oh, but is, yeah, yeah, to talk about my cinema experience, it was a bit of a journey within itself because for some reason that we still don't fully know the cinema that I normally go to that I have a subscription to uh, like a monthly pass thing uh, shut down uh, from nowhere and because mm. it's in, inside of like a shopping complex called The Gate uh, and that whole complex got shut down and the, the the party line officially is that it the fire safety protocols were not up to standard and needed to be improved or something um, but 
that sounds like Spain, to be perfectly honest, so we're not 100% sure. But for whatever reason, it was closed for at least three weeks, then we were told it would be closed for another four. Uh, it has since reopened a little bit earlier, so it is open now, and I will be going there to see Jurassic World Dominion tomorrow, at the time of recording. Which is but getting panned reviews, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it's getting absolute kicking, yeah. It's getting one-star yeah. reviews by literally every single yeah. newspaper. I, haven't, I wouldn't say every. Some of, I've seen some two oh, and a half, some threes and whatnot, but... Um, every Jurassic sequel gets panned anyway to be fair yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so I, I wasn't able to go to my usual cinema to see Top Gun Maverick so I had to find a way to go to a different one uh, so instead of going to Cineworld I went to a view the nearby superior one to, <laughs> well certainly cheaper um, which was the first time I'd been to this particular view in a town called Cramlet in the, where I live um, which was good uh, my experience was similar to we've kind of discussed a little bit offline it was similar to yours in that believe it or not I think I was one of the youngest ones at my screening which oh, your Jesus. was understandable oh. Yeah. Given Holy your shit. age, you know, but given that I'm all, you know, very old, nearly yes, 40. <laughs> An early bird special. <laughs> well, it was like two in the afternoon or something, so yeah, possibly. Um, but you yeah, a lot, a, of, of <laughs> a lot of golden oldies, uh, shall we say. <laughs> but um, it was so weird because it was like this weird, there, there was a couple of, shall we say, elderly ladies uh, sitting in yeah. front of me and because it's like quite local to where I live we're, we're sort of quite forward and quite jody there was some lads that are around my age maybe a little bit older that were walking past just chatting away to these uh, these old blue hairs and just going like you only came to see Tom Cruise didn't you and these women just giggling like oh yeah absolutely ha <laughs> <laughs> like, really is, is, is there still that much of a like market for like old old ladies who have got a crush on Tom Cruise from the 80s it sounds like a Jimmy Croft sketch <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what my town's lot like, yeah. <laughs> but no, it was it was very enjoyable, and I definitely would recommend. No offense to DK, seeing it at the cinema if you can for the the action scenes and the spectacle of it. But having said that, I've spoken to people that would claim that because I didn't go in like IMAX and stuff, I wasn't getting the full experience. So we did look up to see if we couldn't uh, see if there's anywhere in the local area that's going to show it in 4D. Because if there's anything that needs to be seen in 4D, I think it's this. Mm. Mm. I don't do 4DX. I, mean, yeah, I went to, uh, back, God say, but yeah, yeah. I went to Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom in 4DX and left after 10 minutes because I was violently ill. <laughs> so mm. never again. I, I went to see Civil War in 4D and I came out feeling like I've just been beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you will go in Barnsley. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be far. I even got to the cinema. <laughs> would you go back to that view, by the way, Mike? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean the price was that was great. I wouldn't buy um, food and drink from there. I'll tell you that much. That was where they make their money. No, absolutely. Um, but... <laughs> the milk was a hot dogs are like six pound plus, and it's like ridiculous. But it's still well, it was delicious. It was kind of sly because I'm used to getting. Well, I get like a discount, obviously, because I have a subscription. But I'm used to getting like say a popcorn and a drink, or, or nachos and a drink, or hot dog and a drink. And so I asked them if they did any similar combo, and they were like, "No, no. The only one we do is that you have to get that and a snack, and it comes to like twelve ninety nine, and that's the cheapest they have." I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, the cinema ticket was only five ninety nine for crying out loud. To be yeah. fair, my local one is like four ninety nine, so I got a real bargain. My ticket on the other hand cost about £800. Wow, that's yeah. an expensive uh, ticket to see the film. <laughs> uh, some people that follow my Twitter may know what I'm referencing, but my car broke down. And I was at uh, was I was at Theo. I was with Theo at the time, uh, my co-host of this thing. And unfortunately, he was unable to see it because of said car. Uh, the car broke down on the motorway. We were in great peril, but luckily we survived. And um, yeah, I had to buy a new car. You had to buy a whole new car? 
Yeah, mm. because I'd the, to repair the clutch, which is what went wrong with the car, it would have cost four hundred and fifty pound, and then the car itself cost four hundred pound. So I was like, I'm not paying the the price of a clutch repair when I could just buy a, this car brand new again for four hundred pound. It's like you know what, I'm gonna buy a new car like two thousand and eight onwards, and I got a two thousand and nine or two thousand and eight Peugeot, so for six hundred pounds, and then like the repairs I've had to do on that car already is like two hundred pounds <laughs> and whatever. So yeah, it has pretty much cost eight hundred pound, but um, I went with my grandparents last week unlike with Theo because Theo went to because uh, we're university students but I live from home he lives in student accommodation so he went back to see his family and the cinema with me was the last thing he was going to do in Bristol before leaving so it kind of <laughs> it kind of spoiled it but he was in absolute hysterics on that day just laughing in my face and uh, yeah it, it was a fun day we went to go get KFC which was quite nice <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we fought on for half hour about random shit so let's actually get in to the movie uh, so initially I thought the cinema was a bit too quiet in terms of like the audio and then um, Danger Zone started blasting out and I was like yep yeah, definitely yeah, the right volume it, 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 it's a very good way of establishing the the quality of the speakers because it was literally blaring out but um Yes, I did like how... Well, I, I have to praise the director for staying true to the original because there are so many sequences and so many references to the original. Like, the whole aeroplane sequence at the start was exactly out of the original. The Top yeah. Gun text was exactly the same. The ending, um, the credits. Uh, so these, like, these big... I was going to say little touches. No, they're big touches, but they, they're little things that make a big difference. I think that's that's where I'm going yeah. with this. What about you I've mentioned it in my review, but I was a little bit worried for the first five minutes because, like I said, I didn't really want to sit through a com- just a rehash of the first movie. And the fact that it opens with the exact same song, the exact same sequences of just, like, jet military porn of, like, jets in sunset getting all loaded up and stuff. And then, like you said, the exact opening crawl about the Top Gun School Foundation. I was like, ooh, this doesn't bode well. But thankfully, after the first five or ten minutes, I was like, oh, okay, now we're in, like, a hypersonic stealth freaking thing or whatever. So things yeah. are a bit different now. Yeah. <laughs> I am kind of glad that they, they didn't do a cover, something didn't do a cover version of Danger Zone and they used the original. Cause that yeah, was, been... there's a lot of films to do that nowadays, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised to see Harold Faltermeyer was still listed alongside like Lady Gaga and Hans Zimmer, admittedly, but he was still listed as being um, the kind of sound Soundtrack and music guy. guy yeah. this, so. so you were quite nervous for the first five minutes, and then what what af- comes after for like the next ten minutes of the stratosphere of Earth or whatever is like yeah, completely yeah. different to what we ever saw in the first movie. And my God, it was good. Yeah, that I like that a lot because that was really gripping. It was really tense, and um, definitely. I've got to say it's quite beautiful because in that sequences you saw exterior shots of the actual earth and like the actual force affecting the plane and I thought I really appreciate that it's like the blue flare I suppose but I did appreciate the use of light to show the aerodynamics on the force of the plane and whatever uh, so yeah that sequence was phenomenal if I'm being hypercritical there was a little bit of me that was like this is a bit kind of 80s movie cheesy because it was who was it Ed Harris it's his only appearance in the movie first of all so he's wasted but he just came across a little bit like the dean of the college that's like oh maverick you're at it again <laughs> kind of thing and I was like oh, right, this is the end. <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> so yeah I've expected Tom Cruise and John Belushi to get out of the plane at the end of it yeah. but no thankfully that wasn't the entire movie because I was like if it really 
really is just going to be authority figures going, oh, you did it again, Maverick, and shaking their fist. I would be annoyed, but um, again, it really wasn't, and I really appreciated the kind of gag that Maverick had kind of like wrecked himself up when he'd uh, ejected, just landed in a random town, and then uh, asked where he was, and the little kid just thinking, <laughs> obviously, he was like a spaceman or something, was like, Earth. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a quality that joke. That went on for way too long. It was, it was like a whole two minutes of just like pure silence, and then the payoff to the joke was actually worthwhile because it got laughs from like the whole theater. No, I agree. Yeah, I thought it was great. <laughs> I love the shot, uh, the exterior shot of them, when the plane's going down. I thought they were a beautiful mm. little shot. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with Will. I thought the interiors were great because it was really tense as you were kind of, it's really basic stuff, but like watching the Mac or whatever he was at going gradually up and up and then uh, knowing full well he was going to push it past what he absolutely needed to and like, mm. oh, you're going to fly it apart, Maverick, you absolute Maverick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to touch on that, like one of the biggest praises for this film is it's absolutely pitched perfectly in terms of everything it does in terms of like the comedy and the um, the emotional stuff because there was a scene towards the end uh, when P and, uh, what's her name, Penny? Penny, yeah. yeah when they're getting a bit steamy in the bedroom and then he kind of sneaks out and then the daughter is there and um that got again the theater in hysterics and then she says just don't break her heart again and then everyone stopped laughing and they're like oh yeah like the oh. way that they pitch the emotions of it and the great balls of fire scene on the piano oh that scene's phenomenally put together in terms mm. of the editing and i just think tom cruise the, the moment when penny kind of notices tom cruise outside the window and then they've graded that to be really dark I thought that was just like spliced together really really fantastically and I yeah. think Tom Cruise did a great job and just yeah. the, like the filmmakers in general they got the emotions that they needed from the audience but I was yeah. just going to oh, ask yeah. you guys have you seen Oblivion because of course that was the first this isn't Top Gun Maverick it's in the first collaboration between the director Joseph Kuminski and Tom Cruise they've of course worked on Oblivion and I do really like that film so I'm, I'm guessing Oblivion is one of my favourite movies yes it is one of my it's not like perfect and it's not even no. great it's not even very good in fact but it's just like a personal favorite of mine it is tonally it's it's perfect Spot on. and the soundtrack is just oh. to die for mm. yeah Michael, you need to see that film. I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm oblivious to it. Ha <laughs> ha. But I have um, I have seen Tron Legacy, which the director did, and it was shit. Mm. But never mind. <laughs> yeah, but um, of course, Tom Cruise wanted uh, Kalinsky to be the director because of the collaboration they did with Oblivion. And of course, that uh, takes a lot of the time up in the air because it's a very flying aerial movie so that's probably why well there is why Tom Cruise suggested Kalinsky to be the director and I do recommend anyone who hasn't seen Oblivion to go and watch it it's a very good film but it is a good film but it's one of my absolute favourites and again Tom Cruise is just stellar in it um, but that's besides the point back to Maverick one hyper again as Michael put hypercritical if I am to be hypercritical uh, the text messages with Iceman that this the sequence of him actually texting on the phone and then he t sends the message and then instantly Iceman starts typing. I just thought this is how the uh, the old boomers would see texting. This isn't. Actually I didn't how mind works. that because you, first of all you can't really just have gaps in the in the film, but at the I same mean, time I know why he's you could cut away. Yeah, but I'm, and whatever. I know why they had to do that considering the situation with Val Kilmer. So it was kind of like I forgive them <laughs> if you know what I mean. Mm. It's not like it's going to be available for filming as much and yeah. Yeah, the thing I saw is as soon as the texting started, my first urge was I don't want to see texting. I want to see Val. Yes, mm. I think that's. I was that's genuinely not expecting him to be in it, so I was fine with that. 
Oh, did you not know he was in it before the? Before I saw him credited and stuff, but I was like, I know that there's like pictures of him and stuff, but I also know that, like I said, he can't. He literally like can't talk basically yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, I'm very. I'll be very surprised if they give him anything in the film at all, mm. or if there is, it might be a slight cameo. Well, so I was really yeah. pleased to jump ahead with the scene that they actually did give him because mm. it was more than I was expecting, even though it is still basically just the one scene. But I don't yeah. know if that was just me, but I found that scene really emotional. Oh, Same. absolutely. Yeah. Everyone was just in silence out of like pure respect. And I really appreciate that. I was like the youngest in the theater because, of course, elderly people are far more respectful to films. They do not like talking or whatever. So when mm. that scene was like on, everyone was like, damn. And then after the scene kind of cut away into the next scene, you could do like the sniffles. Like there were people <laughs> deeply affected. And so it was like, and I only seen Top, the Top Gun original like a month ago and whatever. So it was really beautiful. But a couple of days ago, I watched, uh, well, no, should I say, I read an article. Um, apparently they've been able to recreate his voice in terms of like a, using AI, not for the <laughs> film, but just in reality, it was last year, 2021. They, I believe so, they, had AI intelligence and whatever and they've been able to give him like a Stephen Hawking-esque voice box and he's actually able to speak with it using archival footage of um, his old voice and whatever yeah. his voice back They're doing day. that a lot at the minute with things because they've started doing it with um, they've done the same thing to be able to voice Luke Skywalker and Darth no, Vader in the newer Star Wars I was yeah. just intrigued because they never cited it was he actually able to use that to speak in real time or did they add that later I'd be intrigued to know I think that he well he, he really struggles to talk but I, I the part of me that wants to be all romantic about it is like he struggled to say those few words because of the emotion but at the same time I've got a feeling they were overdubbed if no, you know what I mean yeah. with like they were absolutely overdubbed because I yeah. I didn't get the impression that was his real voice at all yeah fair enough it sounded very dubbed over and sounded very smooth so what I'm trying to say is perhaps that's the AI talking I think it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was like keeping an extra eye out for Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise was kind of welling up, and I was just like, hell, this is hell for me. Yeah. It was like really sad. And then again, when it cut away, we were all just deeply, well, it got the laugh at the end when it's like, oh, who's the better pilot? And he said, oh, let's not <laughs> kill the mood. We're in a such a happy mood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that, it was like a bittersweet laugh, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, I thought it was um, it was a weird choice of the filmmakers as well, considering that like it's a disease that Val Kilmer actually has. That they had him appear, and then two seconds later or something was like, and it killed him. And I was like, that's a bit crass, considering, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I, I just thought that as like they had to bury him in in terms of yeah, 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 I guess. And uh, like if there is a third film, that gives an excuse not to bring him back. That that kind of thing. Like it, you still it could have had him off screen, it, but it yeah, puts I see a cap point. on him. Yeah, but saying that, I think that that's there was a couple of things like that where I thought they were just far too callous like I was genuinely shocked that they killed Meg Ryan's character off screen and only referenced it once I was like what the fuck did she do to piss people off <laughs> I think they needed that emotion regardless of Meg Ryan I think they needed that emotional hook like in the first movie you know obviously audiences are supposed to get attached to Goose and then Goose dies you're not going to get rid of Maverick in this film so who's the next person that you need to build an attachment to that's going to yeah. have some emotional stakes when they're no longer there and I think the only one to fall into that uh, category, unfortunately, was Val. 
okay. Well, I was I was expecting one of the younger recruits to go because if, if it was following the same beats, that's why I was like, it built on the tension of the film because I was like, nobody's safe because who's going to be the kind of sacrificial goose of this movie from the kind of new class? And there's a couple of moments where it looks really tense. And I think one of them in particular was the, um, I can't remember her name now, is it Phoenix or something? The, the female Phoenix, pilot? Yeah. The it really looks like she's going to die. And I'm like, oh, if she's the goose of this movie, I'm going to be well, pissed. <laughs> yeah, there's that scene later on with uh, Payback when he blacks out uh, as a training. Yes, because yeah, yeah, yeah. outside of Mars Teller, outside of Glenn Powell, who played Hangman, who will get to it eventually, I think Phoenix was the only one that I actually cared about. Mm, no, I, I think I, I, I cared for Bob. I, I, did, I cared yeah. for Bob because he was like a bit awkward, and it, I, when we get introduced to him, you think, "Oh, perhaps this is going to be like the bum of the jokes for the film." But then he yeah. actually evolves into something that you kind of respect. But I, I just want to touch upon something, and I wonder if you guys agree or got that impression. Um, it's the fact that I think Hangman is meant to be like the the caricature of. Uh, Tom Cruise in the first film he's meant to be exactly the same in terms of like the nah, I think he's meant to be Iceman in the first movie to be honest <laughs> really I'll get the Iceman impression yeah yeah well because when I was watching the film when I was well I'm surprised by you DK especially because in the first film you said you didn't like Cruise so much because he was the cocky one so I assumed you would agree with me on that one that's a good point actually because the impression yeah. I got was that um, Tom Cruise is like the, the coach of these guys now and at the very end the pivotal moment is like who does he pick in his squad and whatever and he doesn't include Hangman and I, I assumed it was because it was like the development of Tom Cruise's character on who is best for the role and if he was in that situation he wouldn't pick himself so I assumed that was like a, a, a pivotal moment in terms of his character in terms of he recognises that his old habits were dangerous and then he had to go for something even if it's a bit slower it's safer and it's safer for the crew and i think that was showing his kind of maturity i never actually picked up on that i just thought you know hangman's the douche of this movie so i automatically transposed his character onto iceman from the first and i just fully expected because as you said this there's a lot of if you're movie literate there's a lot of kind of plot by numbers so i fully expected that they kept him back because he was going to save the day at the last minute and have that whole like oh turns out we can't be friends and you can be my wingman anytime and i was like so that, I, I actually thought they were going to use that line and he kept yeah, cutting exactly. back to him waiting on the deck mm. and he yeah. thought any minute he's going to say i'm going in yeah mm. Yeah, but I just got that impression because at the very end, they recreate the picture, you know, the picture that comes up in the movie of the handshake between Iceman and Pete. Uh, they recreated that with Hangman and um, yeah. Miles Teller's character, and I just got that impression that that was what they were going for, but apparently Michael... I, think, I, I would say Rooster's <laughs> the maverick of the movie, personally, to be honest, and uh, I know even though he's Goose's kid, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I think Rooster is the maverick kind of hero lead type character of the movie that you're supposed to be like if you get over the chip you've got on your shoulder you'd be good son and like I said the other guy Hangman is more the Iceman like oh I'm the douche of the movie but I'm gonna come through in the end and be your friend <laughs> no but that's, with regards that's to that I'm glad that they Cruise didn't put, they didn't try and make Tom Cruise younger than he is they played on the fact that he's older. his older character yeah. they didn't yeah. say oh he's just as he was in the first movie yeah but I still think it was it was a bit for me it was a step too far and a little bit of a grown moment in any other movie it would have been worse but it was very grown worthy when it was like he's flying the mission himself to show it can be done I was like oh no really <laughs> he's got to be like he's got to be the absolute flawless invincible oh, I don't think it can be done I'll do it because I am top notch man 
man you know I was like oh. and he did it he did it in like 0.1 of a millisecond as well <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> I was like alright we get the picture dude you're the best of the best whatever even though you only came second in your class <laughs> yeah I was going to go into a point there oh yeah so in the first review Fear was mentioning how he was interested to see how Tom Cruise would adjust to becoming a um, a teacher and whatever and Fear was making the point of I wonder what pivotal moment in his life changes him from uh, wanting to become a trainer full time to not being a trainer anymore and the explanation this film gave was just like he was in it for like two or three months and then it just wasn't for him so I think when people watch it it's going to be a bit anticlimactic perhaps a bit anticlimactic for him in particular because he was the one who mentioned that but for me I was like that's not bugging me it's like, no, I'm pleased they addressed it because they didn't necessarily, they didn't necessarily have to. But addressing the fact that it was potentially a continuity error that at the end of the first movie he's like, I'm going to be a trainer, and in this one he's like, I don't want to be a trainer. So yeah. uh, it's like again, you, was... you do something for a few months, you just don't get along with it. Nothing has to happen. Yeah. Your parent doesn't have to be in a traumatic experience or whatever to change your mind. You know what I mean? So that exactly, would have been yeah. really cliche. But um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what Fear thinks of that. It, uh, it got more of an explanation as to why he's not dating Charlie anymore, which they just didn't address whatsoever <laughs> well they, they, I don't hey, we got no tongue in this movie which we is got no tongue, that's true which is a shame actually now nah, but no it's not it's <laughs> really I, close. I was just thinking earlier into this review that um, in terms of like presentation this film does a lot of what the first film does because we also have the beach sequence and whatever and the whole oh, romance course, stuff yeah. and people don't like the romance stuff they say it's all um jarringly fitting up. I don't think it's jarring I just think it's a bit unnaturally slotted in there but it kind of works for one reason and that's because in the throwaway line in the first film I don't know if you guys know this or if it's like about the Penny character about the Penny character because it's a throwaway yeah. line that he got with an admiral's daughter or whatever and while this film didn't really touch upon that Penny is supposed to be that admiral's daughter and that's kind of yeah. why they introduced that character which kind of makes sense but eh I still think they did that retroactively because they didn't want to cast Kelly McGillis and again I fully this character strikes me as that it's clearly supposed to be Charlie and they had a thing for a while then she broke up with him got with someone else had a kid and now he's like I regret not staying with you because it makes a lot more sense to me if it's Charlie that we followed this whole time but yes I do get on an easter egg reference he does reference that he was seeing this penny girl and that is supposed to be her but we have no emotional connection to that other than one line so yeah it was quite awkward and I think what's the line what you were referencing there the whole don't break her heart again line well yeah that was it but like I said I think to me it just struck me as we have no basis for this relationship and if it had been like I said if it had have been Charlie it would make a lot more sense to us so even a line like that would be like kind of if we thought they'd got together at the end of the first movie then they'd broken up in between and then this was their kind of big reconciliation Mm. that would have a lot more impact you know I think this works though in the movie's favour because if it was Charlie you, you would be much more invested in the relationship because it's not Charlie because it's Penny and you don't have that foundation you don't the, the people creating the movie say you, you don't need to dwell on it as much and therefore concentrate more on the other side of things that's a good point because the screen time of the whole love stuff doesn't get much you know the focus is definitely on the um, on the flight that's the thing though I'd rather have seen it developed because it has it's the same flaws as the first movie for me in that you 
just don't need it at all yeah it's just there to be like well he has to prove that he's a straight guy and cool and everything I so he's got to have the woman again yeah. filmmaking was like the presentation of it was so much better like we don't have this jarring cut from orange to blue and the uh, take my breath away playing you don't have that no no it doesn't have the so, cheesy love secret it's played so much better and as a result you have some fantastic beautiful shots so from that point maybe of view maybe visually but I just didn't pick up on any chemistry between Cruz and Connolly whatsoever so to me it just felt really flat <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to disagree because the amount of time and effort and money they put into those friend sequences, I think we should talk about them. They were quite phenomenal. And the final act, the final 20 minutes, the twists and turns, even though I want to call it Hangman coming out at the end, I predicted that about 10 minutes beforehand because it was so obvious that he was going to come back and save the day right yeah. at the end. But, yeah, it was cool when Han Solo turned up at the end of that fight, isn't it? <laughs> 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 No, but I do like how um, Miles Teller's character did do the manoeuvre that Tom Cruise showed him earlier in the film to save Tom Cruise from the missiles and whatever. I did like that little moment, and I was like, oh, that yes. was unexpected. And I was like, yep, that's cool. Definitely. But the whole I will thing, say I the back, I saw that coming from far away. I, I don't know if I I, I kind of saw it coming a mile off and yet still despite myself when it happened I was it was a total punch in the air like yeah cool it's hangman to save the day moment even though it was it's cliche as heck but it just worked for me anyway every single person I, that praises the film cites that scene as like the best scene of the film because yeah. there was a lot of things that were unexpected like I wasn't expecting uh, like th- them to take the hits for each other and I've, I've mentioned this again to you off air I wasn't expecting it to suddenly have them both like lose their planes and then get into a little bit of a ground battle for a while and have to sneak around Metal Gear Solid style and then steal was, the yeah, kind of that was phenomenal <laughs> I love that yeah but then steal the kind of over that level into an action film territory yeah because the action yeah, wasn't yeah. just all in the air you actually went onto the ground and you actually had the near grey of oh what are these guys going to do now oh there's a base let's just steal a bloody aeroplane and let's get yeah. back in the air and then you have the fire yeah. jets and then he does the whole oh my headset's broken and then he does the free and it's like what does that mean I have no idea it's just like yeah. it's phenomenal it was picked perfectly I will say though it, it was again it's if, if we're being critical I get it but the fact that it has to use the exact same planes as the original, even though the movie painfully points out that they're just terribly outdated and really crap now. Because, <laughs> like, a plane from 1986 yeah, is not going to cut it in 2022, you know? It's yeah. just... <laughs> yeah, it was a one-off. I can, I can appreciate that kind of nostalgia bit. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I get it, but to me, it's just a little bit like I don't get why any military in the world would have a freaking 50-year-old plane or whatever it is <laughs> hanging around. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And the fact that that was the only one that hadn't been blown up yeah exactly (laughs) just on the time crunch do you guys have anything else you want to point out before we move into the audience interaction I like the uh, the shot when uh, Maverick turns up to teach them it's almost shot for shot the same angles that they used for Kelly McGillis in the first one yeah 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 Yeah, I I love that and I also want to call out on the beach scene where they're all shredded there's just one guy that's just wearing a t-shirt Bob and I thought (laughs) I just thought that's my man that would be me in that situation yeah <laughs> likewise <laughs> when we look back at the uh, when we reviewed Top Gun a couple of weeks ago mm. everything that I didn't like about Top Gun looking back it, they've fixed it in it this. was addressed yeah yeah and I think they've done a superb job of it I, I told Mike the other day the minute we finished watching it uh, it was me and my dad 
and the minute we finished watching it we pre-ordered it on amazon i did that with no time to die and i just found out that it's on amazon frame for free and i thought fuck so maybe <laughs> top gun maverick will come out on sky soon who knows physical media is better yeah true <laughs> Michael anyway. any final moments yeah well despite my criticisms of them I will say that I thought Jennifer Connelly is an actress that I like and who is a good actress so I think she did the best she could with what she had and I actually think the characterizations of the various fighter pilots is a lot more developed than the first movie like the first movie there is a lot of development for three people and that's about it it's like Maverick Goose and Iceman and the rest of them are there to make up the numbers whereas here I felt a lot more connection to everyone it plays the nostalgia really well like you referenced the kind of uh, rooster playing the piano the same song as his dad and then cutting back to him sitting on the piano as a kid in the first yeah, movie all the flashbacks they all edit back yeah. were done really well I said that could have been really bad but it's actually done incredibly well and yeah. it, it's emotionally more affecting that way uh, on the negative side it's a little bit too blase about death and everything like I was very uncomfortable at the end when it's like and I've now got another confirmed kill and I was like mm, it's still a human life dude let's not let's not talk like like it's a video game or some crap here <laughs> um, but on the other hand the sequences were all way more exciting surprised me a few times I think the technical flight sequences and stuff even looked better than the first movie obviously it's been a, yeah. you know it's been a good few years since then but I think it was it was an obvious improvement yeah that's all I can really say <laughs> awesome yes yeah, so the audience interaction of course on Letterboxd we have Marvel Man who gave it a uh, uh, Joey Ellis don't yeah. read mine out that's going to be my conclusion Joey Ellis <laughs> gave it a 5 star review Harry Member gave it a 3.5 Danzy underscore 1 gave it a 5 star Obster gave it a 4 star Jody Khan gave it a 3 star I will read out his review in a second Annie Krennic Designs gave it a 5 star Abian Soup gave it a 4 star Francis gave it a 4 star Will Templar gave it a uh, and Helen underscore S gave it a 4 star and I'm going to read out her review now she said I haven't seen the original in such a long time that I didn't think I would get hit with the emotion that I knew they would be going for but I did big time was nearly crying at the end I loved it the chemistry between Tom and Jennifer felt very real Michael would disagree and the Cal Kil- mm. uh, the Val Kilmer scene was super touching 9 times out of 10 something in me just switches off with the long action packed finales but I didn't even for a second here um, it was exhilarating would definitely recommend should be viewed at the cinema at least once I feel super happy so DK get your ass to a cinema <laughs> and then conversely I want to mention this review because it is slightly on the negative side um, it is Joe DeCon's review three stars so it's not like awful but um, he had to say a Top Gun sequel to me sounded so odd yeah I know yeah. the original is famous but is it really a classic it's very corny very dumb and it's very little way in the way of substance uh, Maverick seems highly generic from the trailers and I was shocked to see it be given the same recognition as Blade Runner 2049 and Mad Max Fury wrote as one of the best legacy sequels this film managed to surpass my expectation and is definitely better than the first but i really don't think it's anything close to a masterpiece personally my main issue with it is how it does for the most part feel like it's hitting the same beats as the original whilst also retaining a lot of the cheese but somehow taking itself even more serious a lot of the characters and subplots are dull and i'm not a fan of the highly saturated cinematography but what wins me over in spades with this film is its absolutely breathtaking flying sequences they're intense all inspiring massively edited and has some of the best sound design i've heard in years i would say this film is a decent sequel with it not doing much to improve on the first but it absolutely has some of the most entertaining sequences i've seen all year this film is honestly worth seeing just for that and of course joe give it a free star i don't disagree with much of that but i do absolutely disagree that this film barely improves on the first uh, but yeah that is the audience interaction section so we'll move on to the conclusion and scores. DK, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah. 
It's just, it's just it's just a small conclusion. It's just basically saying that this was everything that I was not expecting. If it comes to movies this year, the ones that I was was looking forward to were massively disappointing, and the one that I expected the least from, which is Top Gun Maverick, just blew me away in every level. And mm. do you want my score? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I'm going to give it. I'm honestly, I'm going to give it five out of five. Okay. I just I was enjoying it from minute one until the very end awesome i'm so glad because of course when you said you watched it, i was like i'm so tempted to just say what do you think what's the score because that's what i do with michael but i was like you know what? i will hold off to the review and i'm absolutely glad to give it a five star you loved it so much go and watch it in the cinema honestly even even more so now i've definitely as i say we're trying to find a 4d 4d if if if, if they do it but if not we're definitely going to see it in the cinema in 2d yeah yeah absolutely yeah. michael uh, yeah, well, I was going to uh, get my revenge on you by just giving a conclusion that was just the word solid. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't worry, it's not far off for this review either. It's full stars into the one. Oh, well, words, I wasn't say. going to. Uh, I wasn't going to do it, but I'll read out my letterbox review because why not? I hit on most of the things there, so mm. forgive me. It's a tiny bit long. Uh, but I just said, wow, what a film! They don't make them like this anymore. If you haven't at least seen the original Top Gun. Uh, this film opens worryingly similarly not no identically it's undeniably nostalgia rush and maybe there's a sense of if it ain't broke don't fix it but it had me concerned for like five minutes as soon as the action properly begins it's obvious that the film is going for unavoidable modern updates to the world growth of the lead character but staying as close to the same overall plot beats as possible uh, naturally the film like the original opens with maverick being a well maverick um but in this movie it's not for selfish gain or cheap thrills though we still can't resist pushing that a bit too far um the rest of the film is familiar enough but really cool aerial training dogfights which look amazing actual characters with depth that you care about a nearly impossible death defying mission and a perfunctory love interest that feels shoehorned in sigh there's so much improved in this film including a lot less blatant sexism there's even a female fighter pilot but this role is still thankless that said there's a bit more depth than charlie got and jennifer connelly does her best to make a presence worthwhile the film leans so heavily into nostalgia that without even giving a reference to charlie it's a little bit jarring uh, and i do get the sense that new girl penny's plot was written for charlie which would make it far more impactful the film truly veers off the beaten track in its last act which is even more white knuckle adrenaline pumping awesome as the first movie's climax while going deeper further and longer that's what she said than anything that film pulled off um like the first movie though there's a bit of a laissez-faire attitude to death for the faceless enemy uh, it's also a little on the nose how the plot contrives to bring in outdated ideas and objects but the nostalgia factor worked on me enough that i can forgive it there's at least a new interesting and exciting plot around the nostalgia unlike most legacy sequels <coughs> Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, criticisms aside I absolutely loved this movie I smiled I laughed I got misty eyed I gripped my seat I cheered and I left feeling pumped up entertained thrilled and everything that I love going to the movies for what a ride I can't wait to watch it again and I gave it four stars out of five which now looks really mean and not high enough but yeah <laughs> Um, my review is pretty similar actually it's equally as long it is Tom Cruise understands cinema and I give it a four star as well nice yeah Fair so the average comes to 4.333333 free recurring so it all come to a 4.5 on the sake of Letterboxd so that's okay. the score and you guys will be back in a couple of weeks time to review The Thing you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> You'll get that when you watch the movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you guys for spending your afternoons with me. And uh, I'll see you guys in an hour for the premiere of The Chase. 
yeah yeah awesome uh but yeah that'll be our next episode not the chase the thing um actually no 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 me and Theo are going to record a review of the last jewel it will just be uh, right. me and Theo so that'll be quite exciting and then like a week or two later uh the thing will be uploaded so that's pretty interesting uh Michael's just had an orgasm. But thank you guys for watching. <laughs> Please like, subscribe, give us a five star review, and uh, see you next time. Oh, and check out these guys' Silver Screen Podcast. Link in the description. Bye. Little Miss Star Trek Podcast too. Bye. Bye. No. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>